This is a 980 CKNW podcast. This is Global News. I'm Bailey Nicholson. Three people are in hospital, including one child, after an explosion on Sunday morning in Mississauga, west of Toronto. Global News reporter Erica Vela has more. An explosion that happened just meters away shattered all the windows in Zohab Bissar's Mississauga apartment. It was all like on my bed and in my bedroom. So I look outside, I can't really see much, except when I look across the street, the building was gone. And where that building once stood, plumes of smoke billowing in the sky. Extremely shocked. Yeah, like things like these don't happen. He is just one of dozens of residents forced from their homes because of the blasts. When crews arrived, three people were found on the roof of the building. One man had serious injuries, as well as a woman and child who had minor injuries. They were transported to hospital and are said to be doing well. We know that we've had an explosion. Whether it was a gas explosion or what type of explosion uh, occurred is way too early. A more in-depth investigation into the explosion likely won't start till Monday. In the meantime, those displaced by that explosion are staying in a local community center. Another woman is speaking out after she says she was groped by former Manitoba cabinet minister Stan Struthers. Shannon Van Rays worked for Struthers and she claims that back in 2010, there were two inappropriate actions involving him. She says Struthers asked her if she liked to be tickled and then allegedly put his hands under her skirt and groped her. I was really pissed off to be entirely uh, honest. I felt extremely disrespected and I felt powerless. This was my boss. This is someone who is old enough to be a parent and I knew as soon as it happened that speaking up would put my job at risk. The former minister has apologized for any interactions that made people feel disrespected or uncomfortable. An investigation has been launched into allegations against Struthers and the new Democrat party hopes to reach recommendations as soon as it's complete. The opposition and legal experts are all over the prime minister for saying the justice system must do better after the acquittal of a white Saskatchewan farmer in the death of a man from the Red Pheasant First Nation. The federal conservatives are blasting Justin Trudeau for weighing in on a specific case. Indigenous Affairs critic Kathy McLeod wrote on Twitter that the tragic death and pain for the family of the victim is unimaginable. However, she added in her words, quote, we need to let the many steps of an independent judicial process unfold without political interference. Over to the U.S., three people were killed and four others critically injured after a tourist helicopter crashed in the Grand Canyon on Saturday. The crash took place in a place so deep and remote that it took hours for rescuers to pull survivors from the site. Marcy Gonzalez reports from Arizona. Police say the Eurocopter EC-130 operated by Papillon Airways took off Saturday with the pilot and six passengers from the United Kingdom on board. Out for a scenic tour of the Grand Canyon went around sunset flying in what police say were extreme weather conditions with wind gusts up to 50 miles an hour. The pilot making it out alive but three people were killed. The survivors were airlifted to a Las Vegas hospital. And a Russian passenger jet that crashed shortly after takeoff from Moscow had been flying since 2010. Officials say it had been out of service for two years because of a shortage of parts. The Saratov Airlines regional jet was carrying 65 passengers and six crew members when it went down. Russian investigators say the crew did not report any technical problems before that disaster. There were no survivors. In sports, Canada has
has won its first gold medal of the PyeongChang Winter Olympics. Gabrielle Dalman of Newmarket, Ontario clinched the top spot in the team figure skating competition after finishing third in the women's free skate. Ice dancers Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer still had to compete in the final event, but the Canadians couldn't be caught. From the Global News Desk, I'm Bailey Nicholson. It's been said that your health is your wealth. Good health leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, a show about health, the physical, the mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 even the sexual health, uncovering what lies beneath the covers. I'm Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, author of the book Sex and Health, Researcher, blogger, clinician, TEDx speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you live life to the fullest. I have a passion for up-to-date and accurate health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. Please put the kitties to bed as listener discretion is advised. Remember, we're going beneath the sheets. Welcome to our listeners in Edmonton on Ched, Winnipeg, listening on CJOB, Calgary, and of course, Vancouver. On CKNW, Andrew, how are you? I'm uh, I'm doing okay. That's fantastic. How yeah. about you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Why do yeah. you ask like that? No. <laughs> no, something about a meal with instant ramen and saying no, no. I swear this wasn't my only meal today. <laughs> On a plane? No. <laughs> <laughs> you sound fine. If it makes you feel any better. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> you sound perfectly fine. I love jet lag. It's one of my favorite it, things. Doesn't everyone love jet lag? <laughs> you know, you get a great sleep on on jet lag. <laughs> Whenever you can sleep. Yeah, and then you sleep for 14 hours and you wonder why your body has decided to do this to you. And where you are. And I'm one of those people that falls asleep as soon as the plane is departing the gate. So my head is bobbing. Oh, gosh. No, I am the opposite. Uh, uh, I went to the Philippines a couple years ago. Didn't sleep either way. Oh, 52 hours awake on the way back. Oh, wow. Not a good time. Not good for your health. No, it was awful. Sleep (laughs) is vital. You know, we are all three sleepless nights away from psychosis. I'm going to, that's a good catchphrase. That's (laughs) handy, like, that's a handy PSA and a good catchphrase. It's so important. Sleep is vital. I take that uh, to heart, really. And speaking of heart, (laughs) this is Valentine's week week it's coming up it certainly is lots of expectations out there you know i was never one that um (laughs) liked the valentine's day gifts i was was like do you have the receipt (laughs) 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 that was a law (laughs) that is the law i don't want any jewelry i don't want roses i don't want candy (laughs) i really don't i'm content with a i want the house cleaned Ooh, oh, yeah. that's a good one. Isn't it? I didn't even think of that. Yeah, why that's not? I want like, you know, some shopping done or, you know, uh, chores, jobs, uh, things that haven't <laughs> been done. Yeah, I, was I say. want a handyman for Valentine's <laughs> Day. Just a mail order handyman. <laughs> Could you get me someone else, please? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah. So, but a lot of people aren't that way. They like, you know, they feel that the gifts are reflective of the love a person has for somebody else. I think it may, you know, may have a little something to do with guilt. No, (laughs) Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the more expensive a gift is, um, you know, the more somebody feels for you necessarily, you know, so it's not really tied up in that. Uh, And it's really how the relationship is all year, but we make a lot of 
a lot of Valentine's Day. And, you know, it's a nice day to remember and, you know, think of our lovers, our par- partners, husbands, wives, friends, whomever, friends with benefits only. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, I have a friends with benefits story a little bit later. Um, but anyway, uh, but when I planned this special Valentine's Day heart health program, my focus was going to be on heart health matchmaking, and it still is, Valentine's Day gifts and ideas for lovers, like the new fun and exciting game for Valentine's, which is the award-winning Synchro Hearts. It's a love game, and that's been created for busy couples, and it's, it's an app with benefits, actually. So, you know, much like the app, I wanted you to enjoy tonight. Uh, a little love, a little laughter, a little romance for the program. I wanted to let you know why places like Surrey and Victoria, British Columbia were the most romantic cities. It's not what you think. (laughs) I'm having a hard time with that Surrey one. But anyway, no. (laughs) Love Surrey. Do a lot of work in Surrey, actually. Um, But I just hadn't thought of it as the most romantic city. But it... Uh, one of them in Canada. We have a couple in Alberta as well. Fort McMurray. Grand Prairie Grand was Prairie. on that list. And driving through it uh, this past summer, I didn't think that would make the list. No, you know, but it's not really about the city, if you, you understand why. It's not really about the city. They looked at some other things, which actually makes a whole lot more sense. And I don't think they should call this list the most romantic cities <laughs> <laughs> list. Perhaps it's the most desperate. <laughs> desperate for love, for lovers. Um, cities in, in uh, Canada. Canada. But anyway, but little did I know that uh, while I was planning this heart program, that this country's heart would be broken wide open, giving, given the seemingly unfair trial of Colton Bushy, a young, unarmed man gunned down by George Stanley. Let me tell you a few striking points of this unfair process. The truck where he was killed was evidence for the trial, but the truck went missing. The RCMP lost the truck. I do some work with the RCMP. They categorize everything down to the last filter of a cigarette, believe you me. The blood splattered as a result of being of Colton, the son of Debbie Batista, could not be analyzed forensically. This young man was shot in the back of the head. Uh, you don't lose trucks. Anyway, uh, Colton was not afforded a jury of his peers. Rather, it was an all-white jury. Premeptory challenges apply here. So many, many potential jurors were discounted or excluded until uh, the lawyers were able to have an all-white jury pretty unfair. His mom, Debbie Baptiste, Baptiste, said Colton was her optimist. He was grateful for everything they had. She would ask why they were so poor, and he would tell her that they had a lot more than many. These people slept together in the living room in winter with the oven doors open because it was so cold. But he said, Mom, be grateful. We have a roof over our heads. He was an award-winning student, He was employed. He had a number of different jobs where he received promotions. They lived in what I would call abject poverty, something no one in this fine country should live in. She described him as her achiever. He was going places. They moved from Billings, Montana, where they were part of a community, to Canada, Saskatchewan particularly, where racism runs deep, where racism was bred in the bone and remains in the flesh 
where the white man's privilege is practically a given, the heart of this country, the broken heart of this country, to that fine young man who was, you know, misbehaving, I'm going to say that, and guys do that. If you are the mother of sons, expect it. <laughs> Not to say it's just sons. But it can be daughters as well, but believe me, boys get up to things. But it doesn't mean you need to be murdered for it, especially when the brain doesn't develop till the age of 26. Well, Colton Bushi, who left this world so tragically, may God bless you. May you rest in peace. But above all, above all else, may you live on in the hearts of the people of Canada and serve to remind us that although this world is unjust and failed you so miserably, that love prevails and that will and that good will somehow come of this unspeakable tragedy. Had I been in this country yesterday, I would have been at one of the rallies because I'm I'm a justice seeker. I am somebody who just gets irate uh, in with principally oriented issues. I'm if if people say one thing about me and. They've said a lot about me, <laughs> but I know one thing they say about me, and I'm quite happy that they say this about me. They say that I am fair, and that is one thing that I think is really important in this world, in your job, in your life, in your relationship, in whatever aspect of how you're living. I believe fairness is underscores integrity and just how important um it is to live a happy and whole and fulfilled life. So I go crazy when people are treated unfairly. And I, and I speak up for it. And it's not easy sometimes. I wrote a Facebook post this week that um, really garnered a lot of uh, <laughs> upset. I was, I was upset, again, about uh, Rob Porter, White House aide, and Sorensen, a speechwriter uh, for... President Donald Trump, and both have resigned as a result of allegations, some with photographic evidence. And I was, I'm just tired of um, this whole power and patriarchy thing. So I'm going to talk, tell you a little bit about my Facebook post and the response that I got. I was shocked at the response I got from women, okay? <laughs> women who are actually second-class citizens. We don't realize here, but in Canada and North America... We are covertly oppressed. Other parts of the world, they're overtly oppressed. We are covertly oppressed. Even someone like me, which you might find hard to believe, but it's true. But anyway, there are some good news stories, too. And one story that I saw that I just loved was, because this set talked about, this is about family and fatherhood and, and friends and hockey and youth and you know, in, in a second chance, I mean, a second chance on steroids, just a second chance of the best persuasion. And uh, you probably read about Jamie Mack. He's a 40-year-old hockey player. He's a hockey-playing lawyer, father, husband, <laughs> all-around good guy, you know, from his Twitter posts. And he's going to be joining me tonight to tell us about his experience of when he collapsed uh, on the ice and... Uh, had a heart attack, and uh, well, I'm going to let you tell, uh, let you hear the story from him. And also, Dr. John Weisler, cardiologist, regular health contributor to this program, is going to be joining us. I have a few questions for him about um, AEDs and uh, NSTEMIs versus STEMIs. What, why does a seemingly healthy and fit man experience a heart attack? What are the treatments? What can you do? We're also going to be talking about health, uh, heart, heart disease in women. It is underreported, under-researched, under-diagnosed, and we need to understand that. 
also going to be talking about matchmaking since it is Valentine's Day and it's an important thing. And so you might want to meet the one again. <laughs> you might have failed miserably a few times, but uh, uh, who hasn't? So Susan Semenu joins me and we of Divine Matchmaking and uh, going to be talking about uh, how what what women expect, what's the most important thing to them, why that shouldn't be the most important thing to them. Uh, why guys wish other things would be important to them, how to meet somebody, how to meet uh, the, the best person. So we've got lots coming on, coming up on the program, and uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about porn and how you can educate your children about that. When I come back, it's all about the heart. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunny Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. You know, we think of hockey, we think of Canada. Think of Canada, we think of hockey. Think of going out in the evening, perhaps, playing hockey, saying goodbye. Maybe you're running upstairs saying goodbye. Uh, You're running up with laundry as your husband or wife is going out to play hockey. And uh, you just expect them to come back, uh, you know, a bit later, maybe after you've gone to sleep. Take a shower and go to bed and start the next day. But that is not what happened to Jamie McLaren. And Jamie McLaren so graciously joins me on the line. Hello, Jamie. Hi, Maureen. How, how are you doing? doing? First and foremost, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm feeling very good, actually. Oh, that's good. Because a lot of people get uh, fatigue after a heart attack. Yeah. No, I'm a bit fatigued, but I'm, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, um, relatively speaking. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, about 10 days ago, this occurred. Yeah. So yeah. tell me what happened. Sure. It was just another Thursday night playing hockey, uh, beer league hockey, and um, it was a 6.45 start, I think. And we're on a, our team, so a, a group of guys who've been playing together for 14 years or so, uh, on a really bad losing streak. So we played a bit extra extra hard that night, and I played extra hard and, and left it all on the ice, so to speak. And then coming off the ice, um, went into the dressing room and, and got a bit undressed and cracked a beer and I noticed that there was something wrong. I thought it was like a really, really bad heartburn and uh, tried to walk around and see if it would go away. It wasn't going away. Uh, I told my friend Mark I was just going to go outside and get some cold air because I was feeling pretty hot at that point. And um, he came out with me. I sat me down. Uh, I couldn't get comfortable. Uh, the rink staff came over and, and, and saw what was going on. They, they brought over some oxygen, gave me some an oxygen mask and and that wasn't helping either. Um, and and then my other friend Bart, who's an RN, a registered nurse who's on our team, came out to help as well. And and that's basically the last thing I I remember until I I I, I was revived. So what happened, I guess, is I I collapsed, and I went into cardiac arrest, and I had a, had a seizure. And and uh, Bart and my friend Mark and my other friend Andrew are all on the team. Uh, had to give a, had to administer CPR, and luckily for me, there was a an AED a defibrillator on the wall. I'd say not even three meters away. So they grabbed that and uh, gave me one, a first jolt. That didn't work apparently. Um, they had to give CPR for another two minutes because I guess you have to do this. At, you can only zap you with the AED at in, two minute intervals. So they did another two minutes of CPR. Uh, gave me another uh, zap of the AED, and I think I came to at that point. And so then, when I when I you know awoke, I guess out of my out of my uh, well, I guess it's clinical death. I looked around, and my entire hockey team was standing around me, and, and most of them were, were crying and so forth. And oh. 
and the team that was playing on the rink beside us had stopped playing. The teams had stopped playing, and and it was a, it was a pretty intense and, <laughs> situation. And let's, yeah, and you're a young guy. You're 43 years old. Yeah, 43 years old. I'm pretty fit. You know, I've, I haven't smoked a, a single cigarette my whole life. I have asthma, um, and I, I eat well. Um, I'm, I, I exercise regularly. I, I probably should drink a bit less, but I'm not a you know a, a big drinker. Now you're a uh, lawyer. Now a, are, isn't that pretty stressful? Yeah, <laughs> or it's I how mean, you manage it, though. Yeah, I'm, my, I'm a social justice lawyer, and, and I run a nonprofit organization, so it's not as stressful as some lawyers' jobs, but. Uh, you know, it's stressful to some extent. You know, I have a small, uh, a young son who's two, two years old, and um, and he keeps us up at night sometimes. Of you course. Know, so, so maybe it's a bit of lack of sleep, but, but all in all, I'm pretty healthy. Yeah, but still, all of that doesn't necessarily lead one to think that you may be at risk for a heart attack. Yeah, and I had zero clue. You know, I, and yeah. I, I had no no sign that this was coming. I mean, I guess in retrospect, I understood. And I remember that I had what I thought was heartburn from previous after previous hockey games to oh. the point where I stopped off at a pharmacy and gotten some tums after a hockey game. And I, I think what that was was angina, um, but um, I didn't know it at the time. It was, it was probably a precursor to this heart attack, right? So, um, yeah, I had, I had zero clue that this was coming. In fact, even by the time I collapsed, I, I didn't think I was having a heart attack. I thought I was having a panic attack or something like that. Right. You know, I, I've heard people having panic attacks. They think they're having a heart attack. Um, right. But you're, you know what I love about um, your being on this show uh, this evening, and, and we have Dr. John Weisler, cardiologist, coming on after 8.30. I'd love you to stay on the line as well. But you want to let, you have a message for people. You want to let people know the importance of the AED, the automated external defibrillator, which was in the rink and is so easy to use. Your, your hockey buddies could use it. <laughs> One was an yeah. RN. Okay. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty idiot proof from what I, from what I hear. I mean, I wasn't conscious to, to yeah. hear it. You know, it, apparently it actually talks to you and leads you through the it does. of how to, to use it, right? Which is yes. great. Yes, it does. Yeah. It, it gives clear, explicit. It's very user-friendly. Um, yeah. But anyway, gr- thanks so much, and I hope you don't mind staying on the line. And when sure. I come back after the news, we're going to be talking to a real live heart doctor. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. This is Global News. I'm Bailey Nicholson. The Conservatives are reviewing policy in the wake of sexual misconduct allegations against former MPs. The review is in addition to a promised third-party investigation into how Rick Dykstra remained a candidate in 2015, despite senior party officials knowing he'd been accused of sexual assault. Dykstra has denied the allegations. The party has already updated its candidate questionnaire to add a specific question on whether a would-be MP has ever been accused of sexual misconduct. Elsewhere, New York's Attorney General has filed a lawsuit against disgraced Hollywood movie producer Harvey Weinstein and his firm as a result of the investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct. It's alleged the Weinstein Company repeatedly broke New York law by failing to protect its employees from pervasive sexual harassment, intimidation, and discrimination. The State Attorney General says Weinstein employees worked under a persistent 
barrage of gender-based obscenities, vulgar name-calling, sexualized interactions, threats of violence, and a workplace that was hostile to women. Weinstein and his company did not immediately comment, but the mogul's representatives have previously denied all accusations of non-consensual sex. And a well-known Alberta conservationist says there simply isn't room in Banff National Park for additional infrastructure and accommodations needed if the park were to host Olympic alpine skiing. National Park's wilderness and wildlife expert Harvey Locke says there shouldn't even be a debate about the Lake Louise Ski Resort hosting the event as part of a potential Calgary 2026 Olympic bid. The resort hosts annual World Cup men's and women's downhills, and officials say they'd be happy to have a discussion about hosting future Olympic events. From the Global News Desk, I'm Bailey Nicholson. Welcome to the Sunday night. Welcome back to the Sunday night health show. That was me. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. A uh, little jet lag, apparently. Uh, anyway, hope you're well. And uh, hopefully some of the subjects we're discussing tonight will make you feel just a little bit better. We're focusing a lot on the heart because, of course, we have a big day coming up on Thursday, Valentine's Day. Uh, that's right. And, uh, so we're getting, getting you prepared for that. So it's always best to feel good. You might look better if you feel good. And, um, so I'm very delighted to have Jamie McLaren. He is the, apparently the beer league hockey player. I thought he was a higher level than that, but, uh, (laughs) he's the (laughs) beer league hockey player, 43 years of age. He collapsed after the hockey game. He may have had a few symptoms prior to that, uh, mainly some acid indigestion, for which he treated with uh, Tums, but uh, did collapse after the game, and uh, he was revived by his fast-thinking friends, one of whom was a registered nurse. Thanks, Jamie, so much for staying on the line with me. I, I have one question for you. Did, they, did your doctor explain to you why this has happened to you and, and what your treatment is? Well, didn't really explain to me why it happened. I guess I found out later um, that I have um, a history of heart disease going back a couple generations on one side of my family, and then I have high cholesterol on the other side of my family. So I think maybe the combo of those two things caused this to happen. But it's it's just it was you know I think it was bound to happen. It was going to happen sooner or later. I was just really really lucky that it happened. Oh, in the circumstances that it did. Um, so lucky, right nearby and. and teammates who knew exactly what to do. Absolutely. And did you have high cholesterol? Had you had your cholesterol checked? No, that's something that my, my mom had always been <laughs> bugging me to do. And I, I just, just uh, you know, put it aside and say, I'll do it later. So I, I wish I'd done that earlier. Maybe I would have done something about it. Right. Uh, and do you, do you have high cholesterol? I do. You yeah, do. So yes. Do. Yeah. They do that test in the hospital after this happened. Yeah. So yeah. I found that out. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and did anyone have a heart attack in your family uh, at the eight, at the same age? Uh, yeah, my grandfather. Um, I was never alive when my grandfather was alive, but he had his first heart attack when he was thirty-seven. Okay, he died in his in his mid or late forties of heart attack. So. Oh wow! So that is a what I believe is a significant um, cardiac history. However, don't go by what I say. Uh, but I feel much more comfortable going by what Dr. John Weisler, a cardiologist. Uh, says he is the North Vancouver cardiologist. He uh, practices out of the North Shore Heart Center and Lionsgate Hospital. He's also an ex has special expertise in sports cardiology, 
uh, care for athletes, both professional and beer league. Jamie, so you're in good hands here. Uh, professional and amateur athletes. Dr. Weisler, thank you so much for joining me on the line tonight. Well, good evening, uh, Maureen and Jamie, and thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure. Uh, so you've heard uh, a bit of Jamie's story. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing story. Uh, it's, here's a lucky guy who's, sure is. yes. You know, I mean, it, it's fortunate uh, that you had your friends with you and that the rink was fully set up with an AED and, you know, everybody um, did the right thing. And, and, you know, it's always stressful when it happens, but people seem to know what to do, which is, which was lucky. So a couple of questions I have. When, um, and not, not, nothing against you, Jamie, or, you know, your mother's always right. You should have listened to her. But aside from that, when should guys be getting their cholesterol levels checked? So the, the guidelines we follow in Canada would say 40 at the latest, you know, and, and I encourage a lot of people to get it checked earlier. If you know you have a family history of heart disease, 30 or 35 is reasonable to do. So 40 is kind of the minimum, and most men really... 30 or above is, is a reasonable number because there's there's so many people have a history of coronary artery disease that they don't know their history. And so is that a pretty significant family history, family cardiac history uh, that his grandfather had his first? It's, it's significant. I, um, you know, I, I look at that the first heart attack was at age 37 and then the second later in the 40s. Um, so that's early. Um, older generations, typically we had higher rates of smoking and people had higher cholesterol from dietary choices. Uh, things weren't as well, I guess, understood um, as they are now, and, and people weren't as meticulous with looking after the risk, risk factors, maybe. But um, I would still I would still consider that significant. 37 is young, and to have two heart attacks and to die at such a young age, uh, for sure, I would consider that significant. And Jamie, what are the treatments that you have been prescribed since uh, your heart attack? You're off work, obviously, for a little bit? Yeah, I'm off work for a couple of weeks to a month. Um, and, you know, I, I don't have a terribly stressful job, so I feel I'll, I'll ease back into mm-hmm. it. But the main thing is um, I'm on a number of pills now. Um, I will be till the, for the rest of my life, I guess. Um, but blood thinner, um, uh, cholesterol reducer, mm-hmm. um, and, and a few other things. So to keep my heart um, rate down and my, my blood pressure low. So, so that's, um, that's a big change for now. Um, and I'll, I'll obviously look at my lifestyle choices, although, you know, to be honest, there's, I don't feel like there's much to, <laughs> to improve on uh, right. in terms of lifestyle choices. So I'll just have to, to take the pills and, and um, yeah, live more healthy. And now um, you bring up a great thing, high blood pressure. Did you have high blood pressure prior to this or did you know? I, you know, I, I take the, the test that you can do at the pharmacy yep. in, the, in the corner of the pharmacy, and I, I, I do that every once in a while. And it was, it was a little bit on the high side, but not, not really high. You know, it didn't, didn't suggest to me there's anything too much to worry about. So, but, um, yeah, I, I've ordered a, a, heart, a blood pressure monitor for home. Uh, online for home, and I'll, I'll be keeping track of it from now on. Right. And do you remember how high it was? Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it was fairly high, though. You know, it's it's one of my things. I always say to people, you know, it's one of the most important numbers to know is your blood pressure, um, your waistline, your height. No, I'm kidding about the height. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about that in the matchmaking segment later. Uh, but Dr. Weisler, how important is it for people to know their blood pressure, and what is the cutoff? What is what is the recommendation by the American Cardiac Association? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's the same as cholesterol. You want to know all your risk factors for, for heart disease, so your cholesterol, your blood sugar, um, your blood pressure, 
um, your waist circumference, your weight. Um, all of, all of these numbers are important. So it's it's kind of important to do like a a, a heart check, if you will, and do that periodically with your doctors. So when, when we were talking about cholesterol a minute ago, really it's your cholesterol plus all these other numbers are worth knowing. Um, the ideal number is 120 over 80. Um, the uh, the um, new American guidelines, which you're referring to, are uh, sort of lowering the level where we'll start treatment. It, it used to be, uh, Marine, that we would not start treating patients with medications for their blood pressure until they were over 140, over 90. And so for patients with a blood pressure between 120 and 140, we used to say, try to eat less salt and exercise more, and maybe that's good enough. And sometimes, you know, lifestyle is always the first thing to do, both for cholesterol and for blood pressure, and that's always what we want to start with. But medications, the ones that we use for cholesterol and blood pressure, they are very safe. The side effects are uncommon, and they're ones that we know how to look for and, and how to manage. So more recent guidelines um, have really advocated for using medications at slightly lower levels of blood pressure. The American guidelines suggest intervention with medications for the blood pressure of 130 mm-hmm. or above for systolic blood pressure. So it's, it's, and it's you know, not for every patient, but when you, you, you always want to look at the lifestyle factors first carefully and see if there's anything you can do that will lower it without pills. But, you know, it, it, it encourages us to think of our patients and intervene maybe a little bit sooner because long-term controlling numbers like your blood pressure and your cholesterol really well, this has huge benefits. And the benefits are magnified in people like yourself, Jamie, um, which is, you know, over time, you and your cardiologist will adjust the pills and we're always sensitive as doctors. People only want to be on, you know, as few pills as they really need. But using these medications and controlling these numbers really well it pays off in the long term. You live longer. You're free from, you know, heart disease and from recurrent um, angina and, and symptoms and things like that. So, uh, huge benefits uh, accrue over the long term, and that's why the guidelines have progressively, you know, encouraged us to use medications at, you know, a lower and lower threshold. And um, the type of heart attack matters, uh, or or does it? And there's the uh, the listeners are very smart. I can tell by the emails that they send me and the level of detail. And so there's end STEMI and STEMI. And, and though, can you tell the different types of uh, uh, heart attacks with, as it relates to the, the, tra- the ECG tracing or the ST elevation? And I'm not sure, Jamie, if you know which type you had. Um, but All I know is that I had a blockage in my left anterior um, artery, and, and, and now I have a stent in there. So okay. That's, that's all I know about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the left anterior is a you know, a really important location. It's uh, the biggest artery in our heart. It runs down the front of our heart, and um, it supplies the blood to a large territory of heart muscle. So when the blood flow gets disrupted um, to a large area of the heart, that tends to set up the electrical disturbance or makes the electrical disturbance more likely um, where your heart actually uh, stops and needs to be uh, shocked um, and, and you need to be resuscitated. Um, the, uh, the the difference, you know, long-term after a heart attack, the medications are pretty much the same, whether you had a STEMI or a non-STEMI, or almost the same. Uh, STEMI means um, it refers to the ECG, something called the ST segment um, is really elevated. You see that, you'd first see that um, when a paramedic came to get you and they perform a, a ECG in the, in, the, in, in the ambulance or uh, on the stretcher. Um, and that tells us that there's an artery that's completely and totally and suddenly blocked off. And we look for that because we know that getting an emergent angioplasty where, so an angiogram is a procedure where the doctor puts a little tube in your artery and then threads tubes up to your heart, can look at the arteries and open them with a balloon if they're blocked. 
uh, opening that artery right away in a STEMI is really, really important to, serve, to, to save heart muscle. People with a non-STEMI, their ECG doesn't have that pattern. So the ST segments don't uh, necessarily go up. Uh, they're not as elevated. And so many, of, many patients with a non-STEMI do end up getting angiograms as well, probably most do, but they don't need it right away. So we, mm-hmm. start, we start with medications first to try and stabilize the patient and move on and do the, do the angiogram once the patient is more stable. And, and the, outcome, the outcomes for each are about equal? They're similar. Yeah, yeah. They're similar. The outcomes for a STEMI really depend on the ambulance getting the patient to the hospital right away and getting the artery open. So we focus a lot on STEMI care when we do quality control because we want to make sure that we have systems set up to get that artery open right away. Long-term, though, assuming that the, the patient with a STEMI, if they got treated uh, reasonably quickly, uh, a lot of heart muscle was saved, uh, People, the outcomes are pretty similar. Okay, so aside from suggesting that all 40-something hockey-playing beer league drinking lawyers get cholesterol <laughs> checks <laughs> and their waistline checked and their weight and all of that. Uh, Jamie, what would you recommend to uh, people who are listening out there tonight who are, uh, may be concerned for their health? Yeah, well, I mean, get checked, absolutely. Uh, live a healthy life. Um, if you're playing hockey, make sure there's a, a nurse or a doctor on your team that can <laughs> revive you if, you know. If it needs to happen that way, um, just and if, if you're in a rink, I think the the laws are now that every rink needs to have an AED um, located hand, like nearby. Um, so make sure there's AEDs around. So the two things that saved my life are uh, people who knew how to administer CPR yeah. and an AED on the wall, um, you know, within a, a, few, a, a few meters of where it happened. Right. So that's yeah. That's why I'm still here talking to you. And I'm very happy that you are. And have a wonderful Valentine's Day with your partner and your son. Uh, uh, Enjoy that day. And uh, Dr. Weiss was going to stay on the line because we're going to be flipping over to Women's Heart Health. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you, Dr. John Weisler, cardiologist and head of the North Shore Heart Function Clinic, as well as cardiology cons- consultant to sports teams, is on the line. He's hung- hanging over with us. Uh, we're flipping over to women's heart health. Heart disease is the leading cause of premature death for women in Canada. Early heart attack signs are quite often missed in, in women. Heart disease is underreported. It is under-researched. This all according to a report from Heart and Stroke Canada um, called Ms. Ms. Understood. Dr. Weisler, just wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the issues around women's heart health. We may not realize that every 20 minutes a woman in Canada dies from heart disease. We don't think of heart disease as a woman's disease. That's right. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 kind of sobering to read uh, this report. Um, uh, you know, we've had data to show that women are uh, underrecognized in terms of heart disease, and this has been around for years. And I think you know, data would also show we've made some improvements. You know, um, survival rates for women after heart attacks have have been improving, but we still have a ways to go. And the report uh, put out by the Heart and Stroke Foundation, you know, kind of summarizes that very clearly. I mean, women are 
five times more likely to die from heart disease than they are from breast cancer. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that. You know, it's, it's uh, under-recognized and, and um, evidence-based treatments are applied less often or less consistently. And, and the symptoms and the treatments may be different for women because women's bodies are different. We have hormones that men don't typically have. Men have some that we don't have. Um, two-thirds of heart disease clinical research focuses on men. Mm-hmm. and uh, women who have a heart attack are more likely to die or suffer a second heart attack compared to men. We need more research in this field. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, it's, it's kind of surprising now in 2018, but we still, you know, whenever I read, we, we get trials in cardiology all the time. It's a very active subject of, you know, there's a lot of research done in cardiology because of the mortality burden it places on the population, and we still see, you know, in the in the in the number of patients, you know, we know that women are 51 percent of the population, but they'll represent maybe 25 or 30 percent of all the participants in a clinical trial. So it's they're, they're very much underrepresented compared to where they should be, for sure. And and what do you suggest uh, needs to be done? Uh, you know, breast cancer gets a lot of attention. There's a lot of awareness around that. There's a lot of money. We have great outcomes here in this province and in this country uh, for women who have um, been diagnosed with breast cancer. Answer the five-year healthcare outcome rates are 89, 90, 91 percent. Um, so, what can we do to help women and their families? Uh, there was a commercial that was on a little while ago where a woman like just doing everything, and she was passing out under <laughs> under the kitchen table. Yet she was in her suit, she was feeding the kids, still sweating and having difficulty breathing, and and nobody really even noticed. <laughs> no one yeah, in the family. I mean, do you remember that? Yeah, really, she's too busy to have a heart attack. Yeah, I remember that one, and, and that's true. I mean, women women have a, a greater um, stress in terms of looking after their family, looking after their household, and that does tend to interfere with them being able to seek care. And I mean, when men don't seek care, it tends to just be denial. You know, this chest pain can't be from my heart. Women, right. uh, often they'll realize something was off. They may not have the typical symptoms of heart disease, but you'll find that it was postponed, say, for months because they were looking after a sick relative or, um, you know, after, after family members. In terms of what to do, I think um, all the existing efforts that are, are being done need to be strengthened, so more resources, more awareness. Both There, there are efforts done by Heart and Stroke and by others to um, make uh, people um, aware of the signs of heart disease, and especially how in women they may be a little bit less typical. They may not be the typical chest pain, but you know, nausea or sweating or being tired easily, being really out of breath. Um, and, and so um, increasing awareness um, of the uh, in the public, also among you know, uh, physicians and healthcare practitioners. There's one interesting idea, you know, maybe we should be using a little bit more checklists in the evaluation of people with chest pain to make sure, you know, have you considered this might be cardiac? And because the, right. the data show, for example, that women are uh, less likely to have an ECG performed when they're in the emergency room or less likely to have other standard tests. Um, and so maybe we should double think, double check things with something like a checklist to make sure to try and counter the sort of implicit biases where we think that women can't have heart disease and you know we know that they can the the other area i'd like to see studied a little bit is i'd really like to know why women are so underrepresented in clinical trials i think uh marine at our center in north vancouver we have five clinical trials that we're active uh, in in recruiting patients for and contributing to and i can tell you sometimes female patients are a little bit older they may be a little bit more likely to have you know, other medical conditions that disqualify them for the, from the trial because trials are very precise about who can enroll. But I, I don't think that's the full explanation for sure. I think that's probably only a, you know, a, a small proportion of why women are underrepresented. So I'd like to see more work done as to why women aren't, you know, aren't included as much as they should be. And, you know, can we 
I think we should have targets for trials. You know, this many percentage of patients should be female in right. trials, so that they get so that they get studied. And you know, we often do break down results in trials by 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 gender, and uh, this should continue. But we need to try and focus on getting that number of female patients higher, so that we we because to generalize our results, a lot of the the early trials in heart disease were, you know, 80 or 90 percent men, and yet we've generalized those results to female patients as well, which may not always be the right thing to do. That's right, because women's hearts are different and also our lives are different. We have greater family responsibilities and and uh, there are stressors that are interrelated and more prevalent um, among women than men. Well, thank you, Dr. Weisler, so much. We're out of time. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, they're welcome to visit my uh, my uh, website at jvcardio.com, so jvcardio.com, and there's contact information from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to have you on this program, and uh, we're going to continue our conversation about heart health, heart disease, the differences between men and women, the clinical trials, and, and how we can uh, save more lives and uh, make a few more hearts flutter. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. This is Global News. I'm Bailey Nicholson. The Prime Minister is being accused of political interference after he commented on the acquittal of a white farmer in the death of an Indigenous man, saying the criminal justice system must do better. Justin Trudeau made the remarks after a jury in Battleford, Saskatchewan, found Gerald Stanley not guilty of second-degree murder in the 2016 shooting death of 22-year-old Colton Bushy. Toronto criminal lawyer Sean Robichaud says it's, quote, holy inappropriate for elected officials to publicly undermine findings of a lawfully delivered verdict. He also says any public comments from the Prime Minister questioning the credibility of the judiciary pose a threat to the democratic system. It's been more than a week since a 12-year-old boy died from carbon monoxide poisoning at an apartment in Airdrie, Alberta. On Sunday, friends and family gathered at a vigil to remember Trey Schlichter. But the event didn't just serve as a memorial. People there are looking for changes to the regulation of carbon monoxide detectors. A petition has been started by friends and family asking both the city and the province to make them mandatory in any home where smoke alarms are required. Investigators said a poorly ventilated water heater was to blame for the carbon monoxide poisoning that killed the young boy. But on Friday, that same apartment where Trey lived was evacuated for a second time due again to elevated carbon monoxide levels. Fortunately, no one was hurt in that incident. Police west of Toronto are investigating what they're calling a major explosion that sent three people to hospital. A number of families have been displaced from the neighborhood in Mississauga, and it's not clear when they'll be allowed to return back home. A 39-year-old man suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries, and a 43-year-old woman and 6-year-old boy were taken to hospital with minor injuries. A 50-year-old man and a young child were also treated at the scene. BC's government is taking a step to show support for the province's wine industry. As Global News reporter Michelle Morton explains, the move comes during the dispute between the province of Alberta over the Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion. This weekend, buy some BC wine and raise a glass to protecting BC's coast. That reads on a provincial government advertisement appearing to show three bottle openers side by side. At the top of the ad, it reads, together, let's support BC wine. In a statement, the Minister of Agriculture, Alana Popham, says... 
The ban on the import of BC wine into Alberta is disappointing and that it prevents Albertans from enjoying a Canadian product that is putting BC on the map as a global destination for New World wine and hurts family-owned vineyards and wineries. Popham says the government is working with the BC Wine Institute to increase opportunities for wines in the province, Canada and around the world. Michelle Morton, Global News. Over to sports, the mighty figure skating team has clinched Canada's first gold medal of the Winter Games. Gabby Daleman finished third in the women's free skate before teammates Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer won the ice dance. Her performance brought Canada's cumulative score up to 63. At that point, nobody could catch them and gold was a sure thing. Still, Virtue and Moyer put on a beautiful performance earlier. Patrick Chan finished first in the men's free program. Megan Duhamel and Eric Radford skated pairs. Caitlin Osmond was Canada's entry in the women's short dance. Final score, 73 silver for Olympic athletes from Russia and bronze for USA. From the Canadian Press, I'm Jerry Smith. There were three Canadian teams in action on NHL ice on Sunday. The New York Rangers managed to beat the Winnipeg Jets 3-1. to The Vancouver Canucks were victorious against the Dallas Stars, shutting them out 6-0. And the New York Islanders edged the Calgary Flames 2-1. And on the hard court, the Toronto Raptors defeated the Charlotte Hornets by 20 points, a final score of 123-103. to From the Global News Desk, I'm Bailey Nicholson. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I'm a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, and uh, sexual health is related to everything. Uh, I see patients in my clinical practice for all sorts of issues, and we're going to be talking about some of those issues in this second hour of the program. Uh, so I was in Prague recently, and the the people of Prague are very interesting and I but they walk around with their heads down and and they don't typically smile but they are some of the most wonderfully warm people you could ever meet once you get to know them they're lovely but the reason that they walk with their heads down and don't really smile is because they don't want to be noticed and because of the history of communism. They didn't want to be noticed before 1989 that it was Czechoslovakia. It was a communist-ruled country. And so democracy only came in uh, after 1989. And so it's going to take a generation or two for that to change. Um, But that reminds me of one of the subjects we're going to be talking about in this hour, which is matchmaking. You know, if you walk around in any city in the world with your head down, you are not going to meet anybody. Susan Semino is going to join me. She is the president of Divine Matchmaking. She's going to join me very shortly. We're also going to be talking about, in this hour, some of the uh, fabulous game that you can uh, buy for your lover uh, this week to shake things up, if you like. And also, we're going to be talking about things that you can do to improve your relationship. Also, some of the, the sexier cities in Canada and your emails, of course. Um, and, uh, yeah, and also I'm going to be taking your calls. You can, if you have any questions for our matchmaker or me, uh, you can dial one eight seven seven three nine 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 eight nine eight. You can always email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com, but the lines are open one eight seven seven three nine 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 eight nine eight. But right now, you perhaps wanted to meet that perfect person, but you just don't know how to do it. You may flub up the the first date or that 
meeting for a coffee or that drink, whatever. It just doesn't seem to work out. You keep failing at it or you just don't meet anybody. So how do you do it? Well, Susan Semenu is Divine Intervention's president and lead love coach, a nickname she picked many years ago from friends impressed with her natural counseling ability. Divine Intervention is a boutique matchmaking company that has been around for 11 years. And Susan joins me on the line. Hello, Susan. Hi, Maureen. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Oh, good. This is a big week for you, matchmaker. Yes. It is. All about love. All about love. Love is in the air. (laughs) Or it should be. Uh, Every day and every night. All right. So... Lots of people want to meet the right person, but they ha- this seems to be a struggle for so many people. And I also was reading some research that more people are remaining single uh, these days than ever before. But it's nice to go through life with somebody. And, and a lot of people want to, but they don't know how to. So what are some of the issues that people face with meeting the right one? Well, number one, I think that people have to be open-minded when it comes to meeting someone. You can meet someone squeezing a cantaloupe, uh, you know, at a grocery store. Online dating is really popular, and you just talked about, you know, people in Prague with their heads down. You need to pay attention to what's going around you. So one of the things that I see with people is that we're so dismissive and so judgmental about what we think is good for us. And so women need to be aware that as we get older, Numbers are not necessarily in our favor, and in my experience, I see that as women age, their lists, and women are very selective compared to the male of the species, get very particular. On the other hand, men are very simple. They're looking for a nice package. They're very visual. Sexual attraction and visual impact is key, but again, they want someone that they have common interests with and chemistry. And how about brains? I, I hear a lot of times guys like brainiacs. You know what? Men never are looking for someone who's stupid. They are looking for someone who's nice. But there are no stupid women. (laughs) Um, Everything is subjective. But they can also Um, be intimidated by smart women as well. You know what? It depends on how a woman comes across. So a lot of really smart business women lead with the male edge and vibe, so they need to tone that down. We have to compete at work to be recognized in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that women have to do is to act feminine. And I say to women, you know, if a guy wants to date a guy, he's gay. So harness your female energy. That's what's really sexy and attractive. And you know how to do it, Maureen. You know how to flirt with men and women wherever you go. Me? <laughs> yes. So how can you that, say that? Well, you know, you're I'm laughing. kidding. You know, laughing is very fun. And when you were in Prague, I'm sure that you managed to penetrate and meet lots of people with your warm demeanor. So friendly is important. You have to look at every single market. So your listenership, what's popular in their market? So Western Canada, people are very sporty. So men uh, like to ski, so do women. So what are people doing? They're skiing, they're golfing, they're watching spectator sports. Go where the people in your city are engaged in activities. In Winnipeg, you know, a lot of them because it's so cold outside, they may be watching the Winnipeg Jets or going to a bar to watch the Olympics. You need to try and shake things up. Absolutely. You were saying that um, women are picky about certain things. What What are some of the things that they're picky about? Well, women are really stuck on height. So even a woman who's five feet tall comes to me saying, I only want a guy who's six feet tall or over. And we need to know that the average height of a guy is five foot nine. 
So 86% of men are not six feet tall or over. So, you know, men lie online because they know. They all say they're six feet tall. Yeah, and that's a bunch of BS. So the height thing, we need to get over it. Um, That's just ridiculous. A woman who's six feet tall, I'm six feet tall, we recognize that, you know, sometimes you have to wear shorter heels, no heels, or even look at, you know, half an inch shorter or be with a guy who's got more bulk. And the other thing that women are stuck on is financial parity. So in most cases, men don't really care about the size of a woman's wallet. They just want someone to have a good job, enjoy what she's doing. And women who are successful in particular want a man who has exactly what they have or more. And there's actually a statistic out there that, you know, millionaire men, 95% of them get matched up because they're looking for someone who makes them happy. And the converse is, reverse is true. Women, uh, 90% of women may not get matched up because they're so stuck on the money. So you need to look for a good person. You know, he could be a fireman, a police person, middle manager, but not necessarily a millionaire guy, but a great guy for you. That's interesting. So women want somebody who is making the same amount of money that they are or more. Yeah. And, and men don't mind. They're not intimidated if a woman is making more money than they are. It depends on how the woman presents it. I know a lot of guys find it really, really sexy, but a relationship shouldn't be about a power struggle. So whoever the primary breadwinner is, don't make your partner feel less than. Yeah. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, a mom and your husband is the one who's making all the money, he needs to understand that your job is much harder, you're at home, and don't control the purse strings. So You, you need, need to send an invoice for that work. <laughs> you know, Exactly. But you have to look, the most important thing is chemistry. And I also tell people, too, we're so dismissive on photos. Guys, if whoever's online dating there, even when they come into our office and I'm like, what have you been doing that's not working for you? They don't know how to package themselves up. Women are masters of the art of illusion with photos, Photoshop, hair, makeup, how to position ourselves. And often we don't look like our photos. And photos are just such a loose barometer And when men show me their photos, or it's like pulling teeth to even get a photo, they look horrible. So we're dismissive and over So they they look better in person then? Because that's not what I'm hearing (laughs) from people who have been online dating. They're like, okay, he looked nothing like his picture. It was a 20-year-old realtor picture or something. Um, So, yeah, that's I'm surprised by that. Well, first of all, don't post photos from 20 years ago because no one's going to look like their photo and you are going to be disappointed. So. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is the photos that people present are often not true to themselves. Mm -hmm. And men, uh, you just have to capture them in a good way. We know how to play to the camera, and they just don't like getting their photo taken in a lot of cases. And just another thing, too, is you have to look at the foundation. I say that everyone sort of needs a little bit of fairy dust. A lot of single men may have put on a few pounds because they're eating out too much. Women help to make men better in a lot of cases. So when someone's single, you know, they may not have the best pants on or even a guy who's an A-type great executive doesn't know how to date casually and women will dismiss him for a bad pair of shoes or pants or whatever. Men, the one good thing about them, in my experience, is they take direction really, really well. Mm -hmm. So if you meet a good guy and, you know, you may not like certain things about him, he's probably open to getting them fixed. And men can lose weight really quickly um, if they're a few pounds overweight. 
Absolutely. So look at the potential. We're going to go to break, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to hang on the line because I want to talk a little bit more about um, all of the Botox and, you know, women, you know, women today don't look like their mothers did and, and don't look like their grandmothers did, you know, so... Um, you know, how has that impacted the matchmaking scene? I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Uh, we're talking about matchmaking because it's an important week for that. Everybody wants to be with somebody on Valentine's Day. It is the day for romance and love. Uh, joining me on the line is the love coach, Susan Semino. I am the love doctor, Maureen McGrath. So there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Who said I'm a flirt? Anyway, if you have any questions about this at all and you're local, give us a call at 604-280-9898, local in the Vancouver area, 604-280-9898, or uh, anywhere else in the country, 1-877-399-9898. Susan, thanks for hanging on the line and talking further about matchmaking. I want to talk talk a little bit about age and how, you know, people can look a lot younger. They can look a lot younger in person these days through Botox and fillers and all that kind of stuff. Or online on Facebook, they actually can edit their faces so they don't even look like themselves. Um, And so I I have a friend, actually, and she literally just told me today that that she broke up with her boyfriend. I was really disappointed. Um, In part, I think she's had a little pressure from some other friends of ours. She's in her late 40s, and her um, boyfriend was in his late 50s. And other friends of hers told her that he was too old for her. And I said, and, and she said to me, you know, we get along so well and we have, the, she said, I'm having the best sex I've ever had in my life. And so I said, you know what, there, do, do not leave him for, because your friends think he's too old for you. So anyway, uh, she'd said today that, by the way, she said, we broke up, we're friends. And I texted back and I said, well, I hope you're friends with benefits. <laughs> Yeah, no, anyway, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Valentine's Day. They'll be back together. Don't you worry. But this is an age thing here. And so today, you know, we're often commenting on our friends looks and saying, oh, you don't look a day over 30. And that's a total <laughs> lie. You know how much wine somebody's had consumed. But anyway, um, this is not a good message to tell people. And, and as you've talked about before. So tell our listeners why. People lie. First of all, I want your friend back with that guy. They've had the best sex in chemistry. She's making a mistake. So no, no live kidding. Her life for herself. So that's number one. That's really hard to find. Yeah. So she gets to go back together with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I'll get on her tomorrow. Don't worry. Yes. Thank you, Maureen. <laughs> and then secondly, you know, it's like saying, how are you? Everyone says fine. Well, they often lie. People don't often tell the truth. So women tell other women they look 10 years younger. When people hit 60, I hear that they look, they think they look 20 years younger. We don't look like our parents. The bar has been raised. Women don't have gray hair. Women look fantastic today for their decade, but you exude a decade. So, you know, Christy Brinkley was doing that. Ed. She's exceptional. She's remarkable. Yeah, we can't compare ourselves there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Generally speaking, uh, everyone has raised the bar. All of my friends in their 50s and 60s look remarkable. They work out. They dress well. They know how to, you know, wear proper makeup. But isn't it about what's inside? Well, men, first of all, can help. They look at the outside first. They are, you know this, they are so visually sexually driven. Their brains actually respond in one fifth of a second as to whether or not they want to have sex with you. But it's not going to last. Right. If you don't have the insides, but you don't fall in love with the insides right away. Mm-hmm. So you look at someone and women are slower to build, 
you know, chemistry with someone. And I always say, if you're unsure, because a lot of times the guy knows right away if he wants to speak with you or not, and he, he could be non-discriminatory. But for sustainability, it's communication, common ground. And the woman sort of sits back, you know, oh, I'm not so sure he's not six feet tall and maybe doesn't have a big wallet or whatever. The guy needs to go in for the kiss because chemistry happens in person, and a lot of times that's the wow and the dazzling factor. And then you have to progress from there. And I'm not a fan of injectables. I'm for facials, you know, a little bit of Botox here and there, but some of the real housewives I think look terrible. And men are not necessarily looking at your wrinkles. When a guy's looking at a girl, he's assessing the package and he's not dissecting and analyze, which is what women do. So uh, you have to look your best. You, for the most part, don't look 10 years younger. Vancouver and Calgary were outdoor sporty cities. The women in Vancouver, it's the fifth best city for men to date from. There's an abundance of beautiful women here. But so, don't don't you think that um that weight uh ages people? Yeah. I'm I'm like a weight Nazi, but anyway, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> talking about exercise, myself. Yeah, exercise makes someone look youthful. That is the true fountain of youth. So when you're active and when you have sex, you project a different kind of energy. So, but some people, you know, are subjective in terms of what they look for in a body type. But you can look so, at, you can, you know, see somebody and then, you know, a few months later, they've dropped 25, 30 pounds. People often think they need to lose five to 10, you know, but they've dropped 30 pounds and they do look, they may have looked older before, but they can look younger. I mean, I just think it's very good for health to be trim. Also, exercise gives you a different energy. You're more full of life and you're mm-hmm. more, you know, lively. Yes, unlike jet lag, which is what I'm suffering tonight. Um, You're so funny. That's <laughs> true. That doesn't give you the same kind of energy. But um, so you you suggest uh, that people ask a friend of the opposite sex how you come across to others. Yes. Is that a opening up a can of worms? And you know, yeah. a lot of people are sensitive and you know can't take feedback. Well, you know what? Feedback is what a good matchmaker does, and sometimes people can't handle the truth, but a true friend is going to tell you the truth. So if someone's doing something weird, like putting too much injectables in their lips, and they're my friend, I'll grab them and tell them. Yeah. An opposite-sex friend will be very beneficial for a woman in terms of how she comes across, and a girl is going to be more than happy to tell a guy friend what he's doing that's not great. Right, so right. So that's little, the number one place you can start. Little fashion sense. So what exactly does the match your matchmaking service do for people? And well, how can you get people dates by Thursday? Well, <laughs> you know what? It's only one day of the year that's number one. I personally think like you that Valentine's Day is overrated. I'm for the help around the house or a card, so that's great. You know, your relationship is 364 days of the year. But number one, a matchmaker our company, you need to find out what hasn't been working for someone or what they have been doing. You have to assess packaging is everything. Dating is a game. You need to know how to play it and present your best foot forward. That's in terms of how you look outwardly and how you communicate and what information you present. Don't try to fast track intimacy. And then also, you know, we pre-screen, we go on all the coffee dates so you don't have to. And sometimes people take a long time to get to know, you know, what's potentially not a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. So we can cut through that crap pretty fast through a profile. And a good matchmaker has a fantastic eye for chemistry, you know, uses their intuition. Our specialty is people that have been on 100 dates and, you know, hopefully I don't always want to say we fast track it, but 
you know, because yep. love is about timing, but we can cut through it pretty fast. Susan Semenu, Divine Interventions President. The website is divineintervention.com. Thank you so much. It's great advice. And uh, uh, I could divine talk. Divinematchmaking.com. That's it. What did I? Sorry, divinematchmaking.com. Divine sorry. Yeah, thanks. Sorry about no that. Problem. That's divinematchmaking.com. And I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. This is Global News. I'm Bailey Nicholson. The Prime Minister and his Justice Minister are being accused of political interference. Justin Trudeau and Jody Wilson-Raybould both said the justice system had to do better after the acquittal of a white Saskatchewan farmer in the shooting death of an Indigenous man. Federal Conservatives, some of whom who also expressed their condolences to Colton Bushy's family, nonetheless blasted Trudeau and his ministers for weighing in on a specific case. One criminal a lawyer in Toronto says it's, quote, highly inappropriate for elected officials to publicly undermine findings of a lawfully delivered verdict. The Environment Department's emergency response team is on the scene of a diesel spill in northeastern Quebec. A broken generator spilled almost 17,000 liters of diesel near the Quebec-Labrador border. Authorities say the spill occurred in a remote camp near a railway. A Russian plane that had just taken off from the country's second busiest airport crashed Sunday killing all 71 people aboard and scattering wreckage across a snowy field outside Moscow. The pilots of the regional jet did not report any problems before the twin-engine aircraft went down after it disappeared from radar just minutes after departure. The 65 passengers ranged in age from 5 to 79 years old. Six crew members were also aboard. And cold feet didn't stop naked models from parading around New York City on Sunday. Dozens of body paint models walked through the chilly streets and posed for photos in a drizzle as part of the polar bear paint. The models were painted in a Times Square studio and then gathered outside where the temperature was about 10 degrees Celsius. It's a nude spin on the traditional polar bear plunges that see people in swimsuits dive into frigid waters to celebrate the new year. From the Global News Desk, I'm Bailey Nicholson. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. It's always my pleasure to be here with you, and thank you for being here with me. If you have any questions at all, you can give us a call locally, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You can also call us, 1-877-399-9898. I have an email that I'd like to, let, to read to you because it's uh, kind of appropriate on the heels of... Uh, what segment we just had on matchmaking. Dear Maureen, I'm listening now to your November 26th show. So resonant. Even though the infidelity story contest is out of date, I feel like telling this story. Did I actually run an infidelity contest? <laughs> There's something wrong with me. Anyway, I've... <laughs> okay. Um, I am blonde. I have no memory. Uh, I have been married for, this is this, this is not me. This is the, um, 
the writer. I, I will carry on with that. I have been married for 20 plus years. We have a textbook perfect marriage. We're raising wonderful children, share many interests. We truly love one another. Neither of us has ever had an extramarital affair that I'm aware of. But our marriage is borderline sexless, and it has been for years. We've talked about it, seen multiple therapists through the years, but nothing permanently changes. We watched your TED Talk. We saw another therapist. Nothing changed. She is the low-desire partner in our relationship. Fast forward, employment changes has resulted in me working remotely and commuting home on weekends. A former lover and I became reacquainted randomly last summer. We hadn't seen each other except through Facebook postings by mutual friends for about 20 years. We met for drinks. We met for dinner. We saw a movie. We talked. Her former husband had been a workaholic, and she'd suffered years of loneliness. She and I had a lot of sex when we were dating 20-plus years ago. We talked about sex. She disclosed she hadn't had sex in over 10 years. Years. Oh, it's a knife through the heart. While I've maintained good physical fitness, I swim too, parentheses, and weight, she never lost the baby fat. She had worked in fashion, and I sensed she almost felt as though she didn't deserve sex. I honestly told her that I didn't care about her conforming to a Hollywood vision of beauty. She eats well and exercises, is a nice, good, and interesting person, and is still attractive. We first had sex again after a 22-year hiatus a few months ago. It was dot, 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 delicious. Being older and knowing how to communicate, the sex has become fantastic. I will tell you honestly, the weight thing doesn't matter. Here is the tragedy. I see no good ending to this story, nor do I. (laughs) I have no intention of divorce, kids, finances, etc. None of you do. I can't tell my wife... You don't do that either. My lover and I have talked about how and when to end this affair, yet it has been amazing for both of us, and we're in no rush. While I feel like a dishonest, conceited schlub, I strangely have few regrets. The experience has been worth the risk. Do we need to institutionalize infidelity? Well, we at least need to run monthly contests on it, Um, but, but I'm not sure about institutionalizing it. It's a tough problem. That's a difficult problem. And that is the risk of a sexless marriage. And then when you're in a sexless marriage and a circumstance happens like a job in another area, it also increases the risk. Many women view that as, oh, I've got a break. He's not going to be bugging me every night, every other night, whatever. He can go off and work and then we can carry on with our marriage when he parachutes back into the home. Not so fast. It This type of thing can happen because... Um, a lot of people desire sex. And it doesn't necessarily mean that women don't desire sex. In this particular case, the woman is the quote unquote low desire partner. But many women are in sexless marriages where their male partner, male husband, does not desire them. It's actually even more tragic for them because it strikes at a woman's femininity. And, you know, there's this idea, this notion, this social notion that, uh, all men want is sex. And so if this man doesn't want sex with me, what's wrong with me? But he may have low testosterone. He may have um, side effect from an antidepressant. He may be using substances. He may not be attracted to you. That can be the case. I mean, in this particular case, weight doesn't matter to this man. But uh, for some 
People, it does. I hear a lot of times in my clinical practice, you know, well, my wife gained 100 pounds since the wedding, and so I'm not as attracted to her as I was in the past. So, uh, but the thing is, you can't just watch my TED Talk and then expect something to change. <laughs> you actually have to, uh, you you know, I, I don't know what type of counsel that you got, but I hear a lot of stories. I'm a little bit of the end of the road uh, type of counselor on this particular situation, the sexless marriage, because I educate around it from a nursing perspective, or more from a medical perspective, from a research back front, background. Uh, I've heard many people in there, fabulous sex therapists out there. Dr. Bianca Rucker is one of them. She's uh, phenomenal. Uh, Dr. Lori Brado is a clinical psychologist. You know, so many fantastic um, people who do, professionals who do work in this field, um, but some that I don't know. And, and sometimes I hear one of the most common things that I hear that therapists or sex therapists say to couples is just, you know, and I, and I sometimes say this too, but this is as a part of a greater uh, prescription, of a, of a bigger prescription, um, you know, just do it because, you know, take a page out of Nike's book, just do it because there is something called responsive desire. And so that's important. People get out of the habit of having sex. But, you know, you have to get down to people's issues. Is it fatigue? Is it their waistline? I mean, it can be their waistline. You know, people don't feel sexual or sensual if they have extra weight on them. You know, are they doing too much? This is, women are so busy today, you know, trying to demonstrate that they are living the perfect life. They have the perfect house, the perfect children, the perfect husband, the perfect job, the perfect everything. And, you know, and they don't have time for sex. Their minds are cluttered with so much. But sex is seems to be the last thing. And sex is really important for the intimacy aspect. So because then you get into situations like this, and so you're having an affair, and I and I do see a lot of people coming into my clinical practice with exactly this situation. They're like, now what? You know, I don't want to leave my wife. I, I don't want to leave my marriage. I don't want to leave my country club. I don't want to leave my hockey team. I don't want to leave my friends, my in-laws, my family, you know, I the neighborhood, my house. But I want to have sex. And so I've met somebody else that I can have sex with. A lot of people have a sex partner. And that goes on for years. And sometimes people are in denial. They put their head in the sands around that. And they're just, they may know, they may know it on some level, but they don't want to admit to it. So this is a very difficult problem, I have to say. This is a very challenging problem. And you have to, you got to man up on this one. And you have to decide, you know, what is it that I want? You actually cannot have your cake and eat it too. And so what I would suggest here is that you got to start with ending the affair. You just got to end it. That's it. And then you go back to your marriage and you at least have to give it the old college try. I'm not telling you that you have to remain in a marriage that is sexless, but you have to make an effort. And so it's to actually get to the bottom of the issue. Is it you know, vaginal dryness from menopausal symptoms. Well, there are many treatments for that. There's there's uh, personal moisturizers. Fem is one. Gynotroph is another one. Repigyne is another one. They are hormone-free personal moisturizers. There's low-dose localized estrogen therapy. Because when women have vaginal dryness, they get painful sex. There's also the Mona Lisa Touch, which is a, a new novel laser therapy. We do it in my clinical practice in North Vancouver. Uh, it's, it's also hormone-free that can restore a woman's vaginal tissues to her um, you know, your your vaginal tissues can look younger. You may not be able to look younger, but your vagina can, believe you me, with the Mona Lisa touch. Uh, so it's typically performed by a physician. 
Um, and, and it's done in the doctor's office. A woman can have it on her lunch break. So there's no reason that vaginal dryness should end a sex life during the perimenopausal years or the menopausal years. So you've got to get down to, is it, you know, uh, working outside of the house, raising the kids, doing too many household chores, having, you know, the sandwich generation issues, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, you've got to find out what that problem is. And yes, you have to get back to the bedroom. You have to get back to doing it. A lot of women report boredom in the bedroom. You know, guys are just okay to just do it. Um, and so just doing it isn't the exact advice. But, you know, I was speaking with Drex, uh, the host of The Shift, last week. And uh, he was surprised to learn that I often prescribe porn to increase intimacy in a couple. You know, you have to get aroused. And, and so you want to have flavorful porn, porn that is actually palatable for you and your female partner if you're in a male uh, heterosexual relationship. Um, and so, you know, it's there, there are things that you have to find out what the problem is and then uh, take good advice and do the best treatments, but you got to end the affair. I know it's hard to do because it's extremely appealing, uh, that, that extramarital affair to go outside of the relationship. It's, it's exciting, but believe me, the hormones are going to decrease. It's not going to be so exciting after a little while, especially if the pressure comes. And that's when the guys come to my office. They're like, I'm having an affair and she's pressuring me to leave my marriage and I don't want to do that. What do I do now? Well, you got to end the affair. I'm sorry. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on... News Talk, CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you on the Chorus Radio Network. Uh, I did a little bit of a Facebook post last week because I was I was incensed. I was incensed uh, with what was going on in the White House. I know we're in Canada, but I do a lot of work around male violence against women and raising awareness about that, educating people about that. And, you know, I was upset that um, with the recent allegations and photographic evidence of abuse that were leveled against White House staffer Rob Porter, former, now former, White House staffer Rob Porter and former speechwriter Sorensen by their three ex-wives collectively. Um, you know, I, I was upset that that information had been given by some reports a year ago uh, to the powers that be in the White House. And uh, that was covered up. Uh, this sort of bromance goes on in life. And, you know, here, the, the important thing around this, the important uh, reason that that information uh, needs to be known and needs to be um, viewed uh, from a perspective of safety. It's actually because if, uh, you know, when the FBI speaks to the wives, the ex-wives of those two men, they're asking, it's, it's, it would be a federal offense if they, it, you know, it would be perjury if they didn't tell the truth. So they tell the truth because it's about the safety of the country. If they don't tell the truth um, and, and, and those things aren't known, uh, by the FBI and ultimately by the White House, then those two men are blackmailable. So in other words, they can blackmail. Somebody can come along and say, hey, I know about your ex-wife and that you beat her or that you, you know, here's pictures of her black eyes. Um, you know, and so that's why it's important that an, that information is taken seriously and that those people are not allowed to serve um, in the White House. And And then we have the, you know, president of the, of the most powerful country in the world, really getting behind the those who 
had allegations leveled against them and, and saying nothing about the women that, that were abused. And that really uh, devalues the women. And, uh, you know, it, it says that, you know, women aren't as important. Um, you know, Kellyanne Conway was trying to say that uh, when she was interviewed about it, she was trying to say, well, there's been more jobs for women and she's trying to pivot and, and trying to say what Donald Trump has done for women. But, um, you know, it's really important that it be recognized. And, and of course, there's many groups that do recognize it. And that's why this hashtag Me Too movement is so important. And, you know, I just don't think men protecting other men works. I think there's a, a bro code, a, a little bromance going on. Um, and, you know, it's hard for men also to stand up for women in the face of divorce. Many, many um, people allegedly knew about this. The the ex-wives of these two men reported it to their, their bishops at their church and um, professors. And, you know, those people in the Mormon church were concerned about their husband's jobs. And so this whole code of silence. But, you know, I really don't think this is going well because, um, you know, men aren't doing well. We're, we've seen a lot of men fall, Weinstein, Affleck, Stone, Spacey, Toback, Halpern, C.K. Bush, Sansari, and even the president of the United States has had allegations leveled against him. So what does this mean for men? It, it may or may not uh, be necessarily related, but you can extrapolate a little bit from this sort of bro code, I think. Men make up of men make up 90% of the prison and local jail population and have an imprisonment rate 14 times higher than women. Men also have issues with feelings. That's also that man code, part of that man code. It's a secret shame. Depression is rising amongst men and decreasing in women, according to research in the United Kingdom. Four out of five deaths by suicide are men. Men are twice as likely as women to become alcoholics, according to researchers from Columbia and Yale universities. Men get more DUIs, traffic violations, and are responsible for more car accidents than women because they're more prone to aggressive behavior and risk-taking. Hence, 82% of spinal cord injuries happen to men. Men protecting men makes men bad. The, di- the downward spiral continues. I don't think that's what we want for our sons, our brothers, our fathers, whomever. I really don't think that this... Uh, bro code, this bromance thing is working. I think we need to recognize that it's important to stand up for women who are abused in the workplace, psychologically abused, or sexually harassed in the workplace. And men have to do that. And I think it's really hard for men. And that's basically what I was saying in my Facebook post, that it's not easy for men to stand up there. They too are afraid they're going to lose their jobs. They don't want to be the outcast in the whole guy group kind of thing. You know, so, um, but I don't think this is working. And I think we need to take a look at that. And um, because we need to make life better for men, we need to, uh, you know, have men be able to share their feelings. And I don't think it's all necessarily just related to sharing feelings. But I think, you know, it's about power and patriarchy. And I just think it's something that is having an effect on men's health. And it's just something to consider. Um, But getting back to, you know, there are, of course, uh, romance, uh, romantic guys out there. And there's, there's, there's so many good men. I just don't think men know how to be, especially when they see controversy or when they witness assault or, or, or that type of thing, or how to treat uh, women necessarily, or, you know, there's new rules for the, the dating and especially in light of, of Me Too. So we were talking about that in um, upcoming shows. We're coming to the final strokes of the program. And uh, I just wanted to report that Victoria, British Columbia, the capital, was named the country's most romantic city for the sixth year in a row, which is fantastic. Um, this is, award has been given out by Amazon Canada. And it's the list is compiled by looking at e-commerce 
giant sales data for romance-related products, like the Womanizer, for example. If you want to be like the guy of the year, buy your uh, woman in your life. (laughs) Maybe have a few. Buy them all. (laughs) A Womanizer. It is a clitoral suckling device. It will bring so much pleasure. No pain from the womanizer. It will bring so much pleasure. It's fantastic. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be intimidated by it. It will only enhance your life. It will enhance your sex life as well. You can use it together. But um, so this was based on, you know, they probably bought a whole lot more womanizers in Victoria than any other place. You can get it at my website, Back to the Bedroom. Um, but also uh, how what cities bought romance novels and, and viewed particular movies and, and um, wellness products like Massage. Um, devices. So Victoria won out. We have Abbotsford as well. Um, you know, uh, surprised at that town also. The White Horse. What else are you going to do in White Horse, I guess? <laughs> but um, the orders from Amazon are just flying up there. Courtney, British Columbia. We also have Alberta on the list, 5th and 6th. Fort McMurray and, and Spruce Grove. North Vancouver. Of course, there's a fabulous little love shop over there. So that's probably why they made the list. Sherwood Park, Alberta as well. Surrey, British Columbia is new. And it's number nine. Well, so I'm feeling the love out in Surrey. And I am liking it because I work out there. Um, so that's fantastic. But we also have uh, Nanaimo, LaSalle, Quebec, which is also new. You would think that Quebec was number one. Montreal, old Montreal would be number one. But no, I, je regrette. Um, Waterloo, Ontario, Prince George, uh, La Prairie, Quebec, Grand Prairie, Alberta, Airdrie, Alberta, and, and, and a few others uh, down the list. Dartmouth, Nova Scotia was number 20, and that was a new one as well. Um, so, you know what? Romance is in the air. If you don't have any, you know what? Create it. Uh, the candles, the, the wine, the hot baths, uh, the steamy showers right after the hot baths, uh, whatever floats your boat. Change your position. Change where, if you want to meet somebody, you know, don't drive to work maybe every single day. Maybe take the bus. Maybe just squeeze that right cantaloupe. Spend a little time. I think that's what Susan said earlier of divine matchmaking.com um, you can get to squeeze some cantaloupe and you can actually meet um, somebody so just head on down to Whole Foods and just stand there in the cantaloupe section and start squeezing them for several hours and you know eventually you might meet somebody um, but you know what you've got to bring romance into your relationship I'm a firm believer in that you know it's important to you know go out for dinner spend the time massage massage oils um, there's so many fabulous products out there today uh, and of course uh, there's lots of um, uh, products that you can bring into the bedroom. Of course, I only recommend the one, <laughs> the womanizer. Uh, did I say that already? You need to have great lube as well. Um, not necessarily with that, but, uh, you know, so anyway, the time is up for this heartfelt show. Thank you all to, to all of my guests. Andrew, thanks for a bang up job as usual. You can go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. Follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom. And remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.